Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. One week, a glass of red wine is supposed to be good for you. The next week, you read that alcohol's giving you cancer. We're saturated in science news, from gene editing to promising new treatments. These kinds of stories have become killer content. But with the rise of fake news, celebrities spouting pseudoscience, and fewer specialist science reporters, there's a lot of noise and a risk that things are getting misreported or misunderstood. Getting a proper picture of the current scientific consensus about something, on what the scientists agree on and what they still don't know, is the driving force behind Science Versus. The host, Wendy Zuckerman, was making the show for the ABC in Australia when someone from the big podcasting studio Gimlet heard it and whisked her and producer Caitlin Sorry off to make the show in New York. And when you listen to Science Versus, it's not hard to see why. Wendy is super enthusiastic, she sounds chatty and natural, and she loves a good pun. Also a bad one too. The show gets you to the point of what we know and what we don't, quickly and clearly, explaining any curly scientific issues along the way. And each episode also comes with a transcript and citations of all the studies they've used, so you can check them out and read things for yourself. And it doesn't shy away from some big and potentially controversial subjects. Organic food, vaccinations, antidepressant use, veganism and alcohol. I'll speak to Wendy Zuckerman about how the show's made and how the whole Gimlet thing happened in just a minute. First though, here's some of a Science Versus episode looking at intermittent fasting. And those popular diets like the 5-2 and the 16-8. Today we are chewing up the research into fasting diets. We've just found out that fasting can help you lose weight. And now we're going to tackle some of the bigger claims about this diet. Starting with whether fasting can actually make us live a longer, healthier life. Because the internet bros and goopfluencers say that one of the benefits of fasting is that it can slow down the ageing process. People that fast a lot end up looking a lot younger than they actually are. To enhance regeneration, decrease inflammation. This is great for dementia, improving your memory, focus, concentration. And they say that this is possible thanks to this very sciencey sounding idea. Something known as autophagy. Autophagy, autophagy, autophagy. We're going to talk about autophagy. What is autophagy? So this sciencey sounding word, it's derived from ancient Greek. And to find out how to properly pronounce it, we track down five people who speak ancient Greek. That's right, there are bigger nerds than us out there. Now, they all told us slightly different things, but it tended to be something like autophagy. So that's what we'll go with. Okay, so now we kind of know how to pronounce it. What is it? Autophagy is a process that works inside your cells and it helps your cells replace damaged parts. And by the way, how it does this is really cool. The cell literally eats chunks of itself. In fact, that's what autophagy means in ancient Greek, self-eating. 
It's like the little cannibal inside us all. And the key here is that the cells can then recycle those old dud pieces to make shiny new parts. Here's researcher Krista Varity again. It's kind of a, a weird term. The body starts cleaning itself up, kind of like gobbles, gobbles itself up. The story you'll hear online is that fasting ramps up autophagy, which then means you'll be getting rid of more bung cell parts, creating more new parts, and just generally keeping us healthy, whether that means fighting off Alzheimer's or making us live longer. Now, the big problem with these claims is that basically all of the research that these brohards are quoting comes from studies that aren't in people. First and foremost, there, there's never been anything showing like in humans that either calorie restriction or fasting helps people live longer. You know, those are all studies done in like worms and yeast and mice and that we're just kind of extrapolating from. Basically, when it comes to this question of whether fasting boosts autophagy in you and me, humans that is, all we have are a handful of studies that are actually really conflicting. So some seem to show that fasting boosts autophagy and others don't. One researcher told me that part of the reason for this is that scientists don't even have a clear way to measure changes in autophagy in people. Which is all to say that the cupboard of evidence is really quite bare. And that's why you won't catch Krista lazing about on a Sunday afternoon watching these YouTube videos. Autophagy, autophagy, autophagy. It actually just drives me nuts. I don't even watch those videos, honestly. I don't read anything about intermittent fasting online because it just I just get, like, really irritated. Conclusion. When it comes to the evidence that fasting will make you live longer, well, if you're a worm or a mouse, we've got some great news for you. Also, how are you listening to this podcast? For humans, the research just isn't there. The proof is in the pudding, which for now, I'm eating. But there is an area of fasting research that's racing ahead, and it's in cancer. Fasting may actually weaken tumours. Researchers are looking into the benefits of starving cancer. Now, we know the idea that any diet could kill cancer, it sounds nuts. But there's actually good science as to why this might work. You see, many types of cancer love sugar. They just, like, eat it up. And this has been known for ages. But more recently, scientists have wondered, well, if cancer loves sugar so much, and when you fast, your body kind of runs out of sugar... Couldn't this cut off cancer's food supply? Volta Longo is a professor in ageing at the University of Southern California, and he told us what it might be like for the cancer cell when someone is fasting. The cancer cells, for the first time, it finds itself in a very strange environment that it's never seen before. The idea is that once the cancer is confused and weakened by fasting, if you then add traditional medicine like chemotherapy, it's like a one-two punch. So the fasting and the chemo... ...is able to uh, search and destroy every uh, cancer cell, call it death by confusion. And, and the reason that I call it that is because it's really about the cancer cells uh, being able to adapt to this very confusing environment where everything is changed. So to test this, Volta gave a bunch of mice cancer in a kind of creepy way. The cancer cells are injected into the mouse. The mass starts growing. 
And wow. uh, eventually, uh, if you don't do anything, that, that will kill the mouse. To save the little mousies, Volta put them on a fast as well as giving them chemo. And it worked. A lot of the mice survived. And other scientists doing similar work found this too. Using that one-two punch, cancers in mice were shrinking. We cured lots of mice when we combined the two. So it's really interesting how the combination can be so much more powerful than each intervention alone. Scientists are now researching whether fasting can help fight cancer in people. And already we have some exciting results. In a study of more than 2,000 women who had breast cancer, those who restricted the time they were eating, which meant they were fasting for more than 13 hours each day, they were less likely to get breast cancer a second time. And more and more trials will be coming out, testing different kinds of fasting diets. Volta is involved in a few of them, and he's taken a sneak peek at the results. And what what are these studies finding? That I cannot tell you. Oh, can, is, are they are they positive? Uh, let's say that um, I can say that they're definitely not negative. Definitely not negative. That's all I can say. I'm uh, very uh, excited. Uh, yeah, let's say that everything I've seen is is really really impressive. Volta expects the results of these trials to be out in the next few years. And while Volta is excited, he's not getting carried away. There have been lots of promising cancer treatments in the past, and yet we still don't have a cure. It's a humbling experience. And so there is a lot of uncertainties. It's going to be interesting to, um, to see what happens. Yeah. One of the uncertainties with cancer patients is that some fasting diets might cause other problems, like people might lose too much weight and become malnourished. And away from cancer, this got us thinking, are there other side effects to these fasting diets? Like other than losing the joy of eating? Well, some people do report feeling constipated, dizzy or weak. And then there's one thing that you might not expect. Gallstone formation and the need for a gallbladder removal goes up. Oh, wow. Gallstones are lumps in the gallbladder and they can be really painful. So that's just an example of how you cannot think that everything is always going to go the way you want it to go. And it's these kind of surprising side effects that are why people should be cautious when they're diving into these fasting diets, particularly some of the more extreme versions. So when it comes to fasting, does it stack up like pancakes with maple syrup? One, will you lose weight? Yes, people on fasting diets tend to lose weight. And that's probably because they're eating less. It's not magic. Two, will fasting make you live longer? Well, there's some exciting worm research, even mouse research, but no good evidence for this in humans. And three, can fasting fight cancer? Well, the most promising research is in fasting combined with chemotherapy. And things are looking good for now, but we need more published work. We'll know more in the next few years. So, what are we to make of these fasting diets? Is this a wonder diet or a wonder why your friends are on it diet? Well, it's a little bit of both. There is some interesting work happening here, but the brohards and the health fluences, they're getting a bit carried away. For me, 
I'm not seeing enough research to change my diet. But Katie? Hello. You're still on the diet. Yeah, I am. Are you going to stick with it? Yeah, I am. Really? Yeah. You don't have to. We're almost finished the episode. I know, but I like it. Really? I know, I know. I think I like it because I'm pretty snacky. Like, my mum would probably call me a bottomless pit. (laughs) Thanks, mum. Thanks, mum. So having boundaries around when I can and can't eat I think is helpful. Caitlin Sorey speaking to Wendy Zuckerman on the Science Versus episode called Fasting Diets, What's the Skinny? from Gimlet Media. And I asked Wendy how she came up with the idea for the show. The show came about because I'd been a science journalist for quite a while, started my career at New Scientist magazine and then moved to the ABC. And my senior producer, Caitlin Sorey, who was just heading up the podcast division at ABC, and she had seen me reporting science, knew that I like was excited and, and loved science and just asked me if I had any podcast ideas. And it, it just happened that that week in science, there was some very big news, which was that Gwyneth Paltrow had suggested that women steam clean their vaginas. Do you remember this moment? I do. This is, I do. I mean, she's had a fair few theories over the years, but I do remember a vaginal steaming story. I mean, it was. it's a bit like, you know, where were you when Princess Di, you know, died? It's a where were you when you heard about Gwyneth Paltrow's uh, steam cleaning vagina? But I remember where I was because it was it became a very a very pivotal moment in my life because I just immediately thought, oh, well, what about science versus Gwyneth Paltrow? And the idea was that we would use sort of science and humour and joy to explore things that people care about from the seemingly silly. You you actually went and measured the mercury in people's toenails to make sure that they were reporting their tuna consumption correctly? Um, Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) To the very serious. And I had coffee with Caitlin and I pitched her the idea. She immediately got it. She loved it. I did a pilot and it just kind of ballooned from there. And and then I ended up like taking Caitlin to New York with me when, um, when Gimlet picked up the podcast. How did that all happen though? Because remarkably quickly, really, I think you'd only done about nine episodes of Science Versus, which, which I think was the first season. At some point very early on, someone at Gimlet heard the show and was like, wait a minute, She's great. We want her. How did that happen? Yeah, I mean, that was basically how it happened to my huge surprise. So I remember waking up on a Saturday morning. I think this is sort of one story of how it happened. And I saw that my Twitter was kind of blowing up in this way because the show had been doing really well in Australia beyond my wildest dreams. But then my my Twitter feed was kind of going crazy and I tracked it back to the host of 99% Invisible, Roman Mars, had happened to send a tweet out. Like I didn't know Roman Mars. He's just like a podcast god. And he had happened to send this tweet out that was just like... I think you guys will love this podcast. It's called Science Versus. You know, sounds really great. You should listen. And after that tweet, that single tweet from Roman, then Science Versus started charting in the United States, which was unbelievable. So it kind of rocketed up the US charts. And when it was there, someone at Gimlet, a development producer, happened to, to hear it. And then he told Alex Bloomberg and Caitlin Kenny and the, the other lords of Gimlet, like, hey, you guys should listen to this. It's really great. And then they just kind of said, should we acquire it? And the story that I've heard from over here was that everyone was like, 
we do that? We can do that? Um, so so it was the early days of Gimlet 2 and they were like, I think we can do that. So it was just a, just a lot of, you know, very sort of startup culture of, yeah, let's give it a go. And so, but, but from my end, I just got an email from, from this company that I'd actually never heard of at the time just saying, we like your, your podcast, can we have a chat? Um, and then this all happened sort of towards the end of season one and then um, it moved very quickly because I was supposed to be starting season two at the ABC and then got this sort of call from New York and basically told Gimlet, like, well, if you're... Because I didn't believe this could possibly be serious. I mean, it sounds like some, you know, Nigerian prince story. Like, yeah, come to New York and... Give us your bank details. Exactly. And, you know, we'll pay you to make a podcast. You know, it sounded absurd. So I was just sort of told them, if you're really serious, we need to move quickly. And they did move quickly. So here I am, you know, three, three years later. Here at Science Versus, there's no question too confusing, no research quagmire too sticky. Strap on your beer goggles and get yourself ready for a peer-reviewed adventure to find out once and for all, is alcohol good for us or not? Because I thought it was interesting, you kept the IP for Science Versus, so ABC didn't acquire that, so you were free to kind of go off to Gimlet. That was, was that foresight on your part? Were you thinking, oh, this, this could be really big, or was that just luck, or how did that happen? It was absolute luck. I mean, it was a little bit of a foresight. I mean, even foresight is giving myself a little much. Um, <laughs> the real ins and outs of it is that I had thought maybe I might want to turn this into some kind of TV show in the future. And so I happened to send off an email to the bosses at the time, you know, higher ups than Caitlin and just sort of said, you know, can I keep the rights if if this is to turn into something for television? And just got this email back. You know, at the time podcasts were, no one was thinking this could be an industry. No one was thinking this could be a bubble at the ABC. They were just like, oh, this is a fun experiment. Give give some new talent and, ex- you know, an experience, you know, see how Wendy goes. It was just, they were like, sure, sure. Yeah. Okay. You keep, you keep that. And then basically there was no other contract that was signed and I wasn't a full-time employee, which meant that it fell through this beautiful crack and that casual email chain suddenly became very important to my future. So it was, you know, and and apparently now I have heard that there is a, um, because now, uh, you know, the ABC is is investing more into podcasts, takes them them seriously. And and now I've heard that there is a a contract with a Wendy Zuckerman clause to prevent this from happening again. I'm just trying to put myself in your position, though, because it must have been very exciting, but there must have been part of you that was kind of a bit scared as well, going, oh, my God, this could be huge. Yeah, I, I, 100, 100%, both both feelings. Because I had I had never studied radio. I was flying off the seat of my pants when I made the first season. I, I just I didn't know anything about making, you know, a longer format piece. Maybe I'd gone out on the field just a few times. You know, I was a re- I was really green, and so it it was a huge learning curve coming here, and it was it was exciting, but it was oh, it it was so so stressful, particularly for those first few years where I I just didn't know what I was doing. The, you know, the expectations you just put on yourself because yeah. you're in New York. It's just um, you know, it's re- yeah, it's a, some real. I, I remember when I first arrived here. 
people are giving me a wonderful, but you know, everyone's giving me sort of advice about living in New York. And two people independently told me, oh, people here just like to cry on the train. Don't interact with them. What? That's just what we do. <laughs> this is just so, this city could just be so overwhelming. And, and both people said, look, I know Aussies just like to chat to everyone. Don't talk to people if they're crying on the train. And I was like, oh, my God, what is this city? What have I done? Um, <laughs> what have I done? Exactly, oh, exactly. Dear. But, you know, it's it's come out good. And how's being at Gimlet? I mean, obviously there's a lot more resources, I guess. You're going to have a lot more people working with you. How has it changed the show? It's changed the show a lot. So when I was doing season one at the ABC, it was basically me and then I had Katie Sorry. Uh, this is uh, the same Caitlin that sort of headed off and is now my senior producer. But she was at the time producing two other podcasts. So her time was completely split. Compared to now at Gimlet, I have Katie full-time. I have an editor who works on my show and another show. And then I have two reporters and an intern and a sound engineer. So it is, it's just a full, it's a, it's a team. And, the, um, you know, and our, the ability to like dive into the research to find you know, interesting characters. It's just unbelievable when you have those kinds of resources and even just the resources to go traveling. Like I've been able to travel all across the country to help report things and make the science feel more exciting. Yeah. So it's, I, yeah, I, I feel, feel very lucky. Conclusion. It does look like alcohol can protect us against heart disease, which is the biggest killer in the United States. But... It's not the lifesaver that those earlier studies had found. So, bottom line, I'm taking a sip of my beer, but I'm a little less excited about it. The whole point of the show is that we are trying to come up with scientific consensus on issues that you care about, and that we want to make it fun and exciting and accessible. But that means that to, to really make something you know, and we want to, you know, we found that about half, like people want to listen for about half an hour because it's quite dense science. It's yeah. quite, it's not hard work to listen to, but it is like, it is dense. And so half an hour is good. But that means to, to really understand and encapsulate the science in that shorter time, you need to do so much research to be able to write one sentence that's like, this is, this is the important thing yeah. you need. You mentioned that you, one of the objectives is to try and find a scientific consensus. It's it's really difficult sometimes, though, isn't it? I mean, there are all these different competing opinions, and you're having to decide how much weight you put on one over the other. And I mean, what are some of the barriers that you're encountering to to getting to that point where you can say, "Hey, this is this is the best science that we can say today." One of the hardest ones that we've had this season was with alcohol. So we were really like interrogating this idea. You know, one week it's good for you, next week it's bad for you. Like, what's going on? How how much you know can you drink? And that was one where the scientific consensus was was really tough because with most of the topics, you start reading and it feels like, oh, this is going to be tough to find where the scientific consensus is. But then you keep reading and you realize that actually most of the scientists are bubbling around exactly the same ideas and they're just fighting around the corners that most people listening aren't really that bothered by, you know? Yeah. Um, and so so for most episodes, you, you do find, you just keep reading, you keep talking to people and there is this, mo like keep talking to scientists and there is this moment in the research where it comes together and you just start hearing the same things from every scientist and it's such a 
it's such a good moment because you're like, we've got it. Yeah. We've got it. You know, and you start repeating things back to scientists. You're like, so is this the thing? And they're like, yeah, 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 yeah. that's pretty much it. With the alcohol episode, that was one where um, Meryl Horn um, was the producer on that. And she is a phenomenal, she's got a PhD, just a phenomenal, like, can just, like, take data and and pass it out. And she was just, like, tearing her hair out going, like, is alcohol good for you or not? Like, could not, could not work it out. And so in that case, to get scientific consensus, we actually ended up reaching out to I mean, hundreds of cardiologists and epidemiologists. And we gave them a survey that was basically like, where do you think the science is at? Like it was this like multiple choice because we knew they're all busy. We heard back from, you know, almost 50. And, and that, was, that was what helped us get to that scientific consensus. Wendy Zuckerman, the presenter of Science Versus. And if you go to our website at rnz.co.nz podcast hour now, you'll find a list of some of Wendy's favourite podcasts. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.